And so the topic this time is comics criticism. So anyway, we'll start here. Valerie Complex, go. Who are you? Um, thank you, Heidi, for the introduction. Uh, my name is Valerie Complex. I am a film and television critic and a new comic book writer. Uh, my first comic called Braxton will be coming out early next year, Arclight Comics. And I've reviewed, in addition to film and television, I've reviewed comics as well. And I got into the media in college. I haven't been reading comics as long as maybe some other people have. But I got into comics by way of watching Japanese animation and reading manga. A lot. My friend was like, well, you should read this. And he gave me a V for Vendetta, and I've been sort of hooked ever since. Hi, I'm Kat Overland. I'm the small press editor at womanwriteaboutcomics.com, and I also contribute uh, criticism to them and our sister site, Ms. On Sen, which covers moving pictures. Um, I started getting into comics as a kid. I'm a second generation comics nerd. Um, my dad is really into Batman and Dragon Ball Z, so I started there and kind of re started reading my own stuff, started branching out into indie titles, and that's kind of where I focus. I'm Rob McMonagall. I'm the site editor and head writer for panelpatter.com. I often joke that Stan Lee, for better or worse, is the person who taught me how to read. I have literally been reading comics the entire time I have been able to understand what words on a page are. Um, these days it tends to be more of a focus on independent and small press works, but I still enjoy uh, various other things and the nice thing about running this site is I get to decide what I want to write about and no one can tell me no. <laughs> Second that. Hi, I'm uh, Ender Harris. I'm a former editor for the LA Times. I was one of the founding writers for Wizard Magazine. And later on, I became an editor for IDW, where I was the editor for their Transformers and Star Trek books, which is why I'm dressed like Bumblebee. That's <laughs> <laughs> my idea of cosplay. Um, and uh, I've also... Um, I've also taught uh, journalism ethics uh, for the SUNY system. Wow, a great addition. <laughs> hey, I'm Fred Van Linty. I've written too many comics, uh, largely for Marvel and Valiant 90W and Dynamite and Boom, lots of other places. Um, I've been around so long, I, I tempt for Heidi at Disney Adventures. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, technically, it was for the, the Disney Magazine group in general, but. That was one of my many, many ten jobs. Uh, but since then, I've gone on to be a comics writer. Uh, I've also, I guess, salient to this panel, um, I wrote the comic book history comics for IDW. Uh, Heidi and I worked on the on Vulture's 100 most uh, influential comics pages, and uh, I wrote a, a mystery novel about a murder right here in San Diego Comic Con called The Con Artist that just came out. Uh, and it's the Cork Books booth. Hello, my name is Albert Chang. I'm a former Disney Adventures reader, and um, I uh, recently wrapped up a 12-plus year run as a comics journalist. Uh, I was a uh, I was at Newsrama for many years, and then I was managing editor of CBR for uh, many years. And just uh, three weeks ago, I started a new job in a different field, and I didn't think Heidi would still want me on this panel, but I think 
I think she thinks I'm going to give away some trade secrets, Absolutely. and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and Albert, you can do your toe-all, and that is the way you are here. I want you to give your uncensored. Finally, it can be told. Uh, well, Fred, Fred is right. I, what, what I do a different topic for the panel every year as different, um, you know, issues arise. And I did think so. Fred and I worked uh, with a whole group of people on writers on a project for Vulture, the website that was called the 100 Most Influential Comics Pages of All Times. And uh, we had a lively discussion. I would say. Um, Fred's knowledge of comics history dwarfed mine, I'll say that too, so um, it's very impressive. And you should totally read his book, The Comic Book History of Comics, it's really, really, really good. Um, and, but it did make me, me think that, uh, you know, canon is a very controversial idea, and I feel personally in comics that this whole canon that sort of has arisen has really kind of held it back and shackled it, because most of the canon that has been um, written up until this time uh, was really about this kind of superhero, um, you know, white men did comics and that was it sort of story. And that's really kind of not what happened. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different people who, who've made amazing comics and it certainly wasn't all superheroes. So, um, and I think on the 100 pages, I think we managed to actually open things up and really, um, and I, I thought the response to it was really interesting because I, to me, a lot of the pages, the books that we mentioned were, um, you know, kind of old hat. A lot of people said they'd never heard of them. So. Interesting. Yeah. So, but a lot of people said, I need to read this and I need to, I need to get in on this. So I thought it was an interesting new approach. I felt that with that we've got a, kind of some original scholarship on the topic. Um, so let me throw this out and, you know, uh, just, I, I know, Valerie, you say you're a new, uh, new comics critic or, or not as been reading them as long, but I, you know, I want to get everybody's opinion just, I, you know, just on that topic of, of canon. I mean, do you think there should be a canon for comics? Is it a valuable concept to have this, or is it really uh, restrictive and reductive? Can I offer a second? Why don't you begin by explaining what you mean by that? Okay, well, I think it's like, you know, the 100 best books ever written, or the 100 best comics ever written. You know, like, here's the list of comics. Here's a list of books, or here's the list of movies, and you know it really does almost always end up that these books or movies or comics are made by um, you know a very limited set of, of usually Western heteronormative you know white male authors, creators, whatever. And I mean I found that canon has tended to be limiting and opening up new voices. So so I'm sort of anti-canon, right? But at the same time. I, Maybe if we can create a canon that is inclusive, more voices and more diversity, maybe that would be valuable if it is possible. So, so I guess those are the two ideas <coughs> that I'm kind of juggling right here about, about comics criticism. Um, can, I, can I talk about, I think canon is really important for superhero comics, which is why comics in general put such an emphasis on it. Because of the nature of superhero comics, they're so self-referencing that um, we create this canon and then writers will continue to recreate stories over and over again. So the idea of a canon helps you understand references like how it's useful to read the Bible to understand like tons of Western literature because they're all referencing this one thing. I think that's why superhero stories get like canonized, literally. But I think the idea of a comics canon, like in general, Really, that really is a struggle for me because that's 
that really covers so many topics and like publication styles and so many things. You could say that these are objectively like the 10 best comics, but it would be such a wide spectrum that it wouldn't really help establish the idea that like these are the touchstones you need to read to understand these later works and works that are expanding on it. I mean, also the, 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 the question becomes like, you know, who, who is the canon for? You know what I mean? Is mm -hmm. I think there's a certain canon and I think that's what Vulture was trying to do with the 100 most influential pages, because it's sort of right there in that title, Influential, is that was almost the canon for creators, right? It was, it was how did we get to here from back there? You know, it's more of a historical uh, narration as opposed to a canon for, like, the way the a liberal arts, you know, um, uh, college would look at a canon, like, like, Back when the Watchmen movie was coming out, I remember that all these people were being handed Watchmen like in their book groups and stuff. Like that was the first book they ever read, which is really brutal. Like if you think about it, like like that's like handing somebody Moby Dick as their first book. It's a lot of like people who were really jazzed about giving their book clubs Watchmen, and then they got super disappointed when they found them super dense, super hard to follow. Uh, the characters are not necessarily all that likable, and so on and so forth. And they were really disappointed when they didn't suddenly convert everybody in their book club to reading Watchmen, or after, after reading Watchmen to suddenly reading comics or superhero comics. But to me, that's like giving somebody a copy of Moby Dick and suddenly expecting them to really get into whaling. You're really putting college me on blast right now. <laughs> I mean, I have a confession to make. I couldn't get through Watchmen twice, and the only reason I got through it on the third try was because I was moving out of state and had to give it back to someone. So I am about as anti-canon as it gets, and part of that reason is there's about two dozen of us in this room, and if I asked each of you to write down the ten comics you think everyone should read, I would bet that the commonality would be about 25% amongst all the lists. It is, comics is such a wide variety of things that if you're trying to narrow it down to a canon, you're going to fail, and worse, you're going to make people who are maybe taking baby steps in and don't like what you put on the canon to turn them off because then they're going to feel like, well, I just don't get comics because clearly I don't like these things that are on the list. So I'm extraordinarily anti-canon. Well, you know, I think that people uh, misunderstand exactly what comics is. Uh, you know, people often talk about comics as a genre when in fact it's not a genre, it's a medium. And uh, as any medium, books, movies, music, um, they have, you know, dozens, hundreds of different genres. And, you know, it's like saying, what are the 10 best albums? Well, you know, you could be Liza Minnelli at the Palace, or you could, you know, be talking about Nine Inch Nails, and there's just no way to compare the two. Um, so, I, you know, I think maybe when you talk about canon, um, you should talk about, you know, the superhero canon, which is itself a genre, or some other type of comics, horror comics, which is its own well-established genre and then you can start looking at it from there. Um, I feel like I don't know enough <laughs> to like make an answer. This is the problem. No, like, that's the problem with comics yeah. camp. Because, <laughs> no, I, I feel like I don't know enough because everybody is, I, I, you know, I sort of, I'm hearing what everybody's saying and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, wow, well, that makes sense too. Um, <laughs> I think, I think um, well, I mean, there are films too, you know. Right, and, and when you ask, when you look at stuff like Star Wars and, 
you, you know, you ask yourself, in, in terms of films, I know they're in the comics medium as well, but in terms of film, you ask yourself um, about canon and everything. There's a, I don't know, there's a rich world to explore that I think studios are missing out on. Um, but as far as, um, I can't really say if I'm anti-canon or not, because I'm, I'm still not sure. Can I can I ask what books you are or you have been introduced to get started into? Are you in? Um, is, it, in is it superhero? Is it? No, I was introduced uh, via V for Vendetta. That was my first. All right. So, is it superhero that you've kind of gotten into comics into, or is it more the indie stuff? Or I think I, I tend to lean toward indie. Okay. Um, because I, you know, after V for Vendetta, I read read hundred bullets. Because that kind of dictates why your tastes go into right, it, and, and whether you got into it or not. Right, thank you for the question, because now it's helping. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I think my tastes tend to go more indie, more one-and-dones, like, you know, give me a, a limited series and, you know, I can be satisfied and sort of move forward. Um, but I've I read a lot more image as opposed to the big two. Uh, I find big two-canon stuff frustrating, uh, especially because DC keeps doing time travel and reinventing itself, <laughs> and Marvel keeps, they keep having war upon war, and nothing gets done, and then they go time travel, and it's like none of it happened. So uh, the the innovation of the new ideas and where the, the independent comics are going, they seem to be more focused on open world sort of things. Uh, and I know open world is referring to video games, but it seems to be a little bit more flexible uh, as, as opposed to the bigger comic houses. They create a lot of they create a lot of content, but it's very rigid and um, it's a turn off. So does that mean I'm anti-canon? Sounds like it. <laughs> okay, well, no, because well, no, you're, you're following your own canon. You're following your own genre within comics. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with what everyone's saying. It, I think genre, it makes sense. And it's also like, well, I mean, if you really, if you want to read what people consider great comics, that's already up there. Like, it's easy to find. Like, it's easier to figure out, like, what are the most historically significant ones. But, like, if you don't, I don't think it's a big deal at all. I mean, I wrote about superhero comics for 12 plus years. I've never read Crisis on Infinite Earths. I can't imagine even doing it. It seems very hard to read. <laughs> but I know what it is. I, you know, I know what it's about. I know why it's important. I know what it did. I have an understanding of that, but I haven't sat down and read all 264 pages of it. <laughs> um, and I think that's fine. And I don't think that uh, was a disservice to me. Maybe some people disagree. Um, but yeah, I think if you're just a reader, you know, you got to uh, read what you want, and you can have a very robust uh, comic book reading life without reading some of these major touchstones, and I think that's totally cool. And if you want to read those, that's also fine. They're, they're out there. Uh, there's no, no judgment either way. I think, you know, I, I, another great thing with sort of modalities of, of all these different communities, and each one has its own canon. Do you remember when we were doing the discussion about the Vulture thing, about the 100 pages, where uh, one of the panelists choosing them was the great uh, inker of Dark Knight and, uh, and, and, and Daredevil Claus Jansen, and he was like, oh, you've got to put on X-Men 89 or whatever it was. <laughs> and I, I mean, I consider myself to be fairly well educated in comics, 
And I don't think anyone else on that thread was talking about. What he's saying was is that what Neil Adams was doing, Neil Adams was drawing X-Men, and this is the original five X-Men, and they were fighting, I think they were fighting the, the pterodactyl guy, Sauron, Sauron. Uh, and, he, and he was talking about the, how the coloring of that issue revolutionized comics coloring. Yeah, well, that was X-Men 112, actually, but no. <laughs> no, I know it was before 98, Heidi. It was the original 5 X-Men. I think you think that was the reboot. Yeah, that's right, exactly. It was 63 or something. Anyway, point being that he was like, you guys are nuts if you don't put this on the, on the, the, the list. And the rest of us were like, what? what? What is he talking about? You know, but I, and I'm sure he was 100% correct that the... Uh, that this was a super influential page. I mean, he teaches cartooning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. SVA and elsewhere. I mean, he's Klaus Janssen, so... Um, exactly, he's Klaus Janssen, so he knows what he's talking about, but the editors are both like, nope. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I think the um, advent of, role of online fan curation and everything also slowly diminishes the importance of canon, even in stuff like superheroes, because you don't have to read Crisis on Infinite Earths to read a really comprehensive summary that's going to tell you everything else you need to read and know about that. Which I think is kind of cool because there's so much back issue, like that's another step forward to getting people into books without needing that, all of that knowledge in their head. I mean, I, I will say, uh, I guess as a kid, pro-canon, there was this book by Leonard Feather called The 101 Best Jazz Albums. And I mean, jazz is a pretty obscure, you know, there's a lot of, to learn about it. It's not you know, to really get into it. And I do remember, you know, I'm a, I do love lists, and I read that whole book, and, and I mean, of course, it talked about how the albums were made, and how, you know, uh, Charlie Mingus got mad, and, you know, at Bird, and they had a big fight, and, you know, all this stuff. So, so I love that. You know, I listened to as many of those albums as I could, and it gave me a really good education, at least a basic education, you know, so, um, so on the pro. But yeah, I, I guess, I guess what, what, also attracts me to the idea is that I still feel, and I mean, I want to say I do think the work, especially like Rob and Kat are doing, you know, with, with the women write about comics and Cal Potter, what I try to do with the beat, I mean, we don't do as much criticism as I would like to do at the beat, but we're trying to grow it. And, and I mean, I want to have things, because there's a lot of comics out there, you know? And I do think when you have a trusted source, that is raving about a book and, you know, can convince you to go out and look at it, uh, or, you know, and so many times lists are, you know, like, here's five comics for, you know, Women's Month or whatever, but, you know, I, I mean, I think that kind of power of, you know, persuading people to try new material, I guess that's, that's what I'm really most concerned with. Do you think that the whole idea of lists is now something that's come out of the online Journalism. No, there was always the, 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 yeah, yeah. It came from magazines, actually. Yeah. You know, you can look at Cosmo and like five tips for you know. Yeah. Well, now you know what, your man and dad and seven ways to <laughs> cook spinach and you know. That's but you know, Wizard was. I mean, and, and so you know, when you said you worked for Wizard, that was a controversial buzzword that you know. But I will say, as someone who worked in the magazine industry for quite a while, Wizard was notable because it started putting all the slick packaging and listicles and that kind of thing that were in the uh, regular magazine world. In the yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, was that, you know, I mean, were, were you trying to make canon at Wizard? Um, you know... You did, yeah. whether you wanted to or not. I'm well, uh, uh, I don't want to say too much about this, but a lot had to do with 
which comics Garib Seamus actually owned in his warehouse. And of course, if they got promoted and the price guide showed them going up in value, then you know his personal fortunes would also go up. So, um, but on the editorial side, because that, that was more the publishing side, on the editorial side, Pat O'Neill was the editor at the time. So I think you probably know him from Genie. Were you on Genie, right? Yeah, okay, so that's where I remember you. Um, so Pat O'Neill was on Genie. He was a, a journalist and a comics oh, journalist. He worked for Comic Scene before Wizard, and um, he, um, he kept the editorial side quite independent from all of that. So I'm, Pat has been controversial in the past. I don't know what people's opinions are of him, but at working for him, he was always quite independent, and that aspect I always admire. So. Um, yeah, I mean, for those who don't know the history, I mean, Wizard did have a lot of lists of hot artists and hot comics. I mean, it was really into lists, and, you know, it could drive the market quite a bit. But, you know, we shouldn't talk about that. Um, I want to throw, throw this out. Okay, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, I asked you. So let me throw this out to the panel and talk about, um, uh, start with Albert. And just when you were editing, like, you know, what was the, no, I'm, sorry, I'm not, no. Uh, Albert, so how did you choose which books to review? And what personally excited you about, you know, books that got reviewed? But what was the criteria? Yeah, I would say the criteria is always two things. Um, one would be the obvious, like, things that were clearly very popular and high-profile and anticipated, um, because, you know, that's kind of a sure bet, and also, that's what a lot of people want to know about, um, so you got to, you know, the purpose, I guess, is to get people <laughs> the information they're interested in, but also, you know, one thing that was always important to me, and I wanted to nourish as much as possible, is stuff that people on staff were excited about, because that's also important. And when someone's excited about something and passionate, and that comes out in the writing, and you know, it makes for uh, a better piece. And I think that often, you know, even if it's a more obscure thing, that'll attract things, people, you know, because if you can tell that uh, someone's really into something, and if that comes out in the writing, then you know, people get excited, and I think that has uh, it has a definite effect. So those are the two things. But if someone's just kind of you know, if someone's neutral about something that is high profile, that's not that interesting to read. And if someone's, you know, um, I don't know what the second part of the point was, but yes, you have, passion is important. Did you have the like regular reviewers, you know, like, like was there somebody who would review, you know, the Batman books or was it like, because I, I think in no. movie criticism, you know, I think it's really easy. I mean, there's a lot fewer movies than there are comics. But I think also it's like, oh, Anthony Lane writes The New Yorker, and I know what he likes and what he doesn't like, you know? So I, mean, I think in comics, it was hard, you know, harder to develop your, how you, you know? Yeah, it's not as personality-driven, which I think is uh, something that would be cool to see more of. I mean, I think there's great personalities writing about comics, but for whatever reason, you know, you don't have that kind of like, oh, I always read this person about this thing. You know, like, if you look at how, like, um, you know, like with the AV club, right? You're like, oh, this person recaps these shows and I like her recaps, so I'm gonna read them. Even though I don't watch the show. Like, you don't get as much of that in comics, so that would be a, a cool thing to see more of. Um, so, Women Write About Comics is an all-volunteer site, um, and we, so the editors are not making money, our writers are not making money. We offer a really stringent editorial review process. Um, we've had several writers go on. We're at this very con, getting paid and you know making a living doing writing. So, um, because like everyone else, not getting paid for doing comics journalism is 
um, a big problem. I agree with that. Um, but it does allow us to have a lot of writer-driven coverage because if somebody wants to recap every single Dynamite book every month, like that's great and we are happy to provide them those review copies and they're gonna tell you which Dynamite books to buy that month. And we have some dedicated people on Transformers books now. We've had a dedicated Jen and Holograms reviewer. So I think there's definitely space for that. Um, the problem is getting the money for that. I, um... <coughs> I was very sort of focused on reviewing super indie comics, like self-made uh, independent uh, creators who reached out to me um, when I was writing exclusively for Nerds of Color and Black Girl Nerds who would ask me to review their comics um, and, you know, just to sort of get uh, promotion. And I really, really loved doing that because there is, it showed me that there's some really great work that's being ignored by the world or, you know, because a certain person doesn't have a large enough platform or whatever, but they do create work. So I, you know, whatever site I was at at the time, I had a column, I think I was at, like, I don't remember the name of the website, I've written for so many, but I was at the website and I had a weekly column where I re review um, self-published comics. And I would do that weekly and you know, I don't know if it led to bigger things for the writer, but I know it made me feel good to sort of help them get the word out about their work. Because, like when we write about comics, uh, Panel Cutter is not a paid site, the thing that I tell people is that pretty much I'm going to be hands-off about what you write as long as it is comics only. With all respect to sites that also go into media, I think that's awesome. That's not us. They can do it better than we can. So that's pretty much the only rule, which means that at any given time, we can go from doing a review of a tiny mini-comic somebody picked up at a show to uh, we all tag team together to do a combo review of our impressions on Action 1000. So really, as far as it goes, we don't select what I would say in general for the staff is that to some degree, we do look at how there's been a response to things. Because our time is limited, we can't review everything. So if we notice that, hey, people are taking notice anytime we do a book from Birdcage Bottom, then we're going to do more Birdcage Bottom books, not just because we like them, but because we know people will actually react. There are some publishers that I love their books, no one ever reads the review. And since I am not paid for this and I'm doing it entirely in my spare time, those books start going to the bottom of the stack. And if I get a moment, great. If I don't, I don't. Well, you have the benefit of actually being able to see your pages, how many people read each review and each comment of, of each comic. You know, when, when I was working in magazines, we didn't have any of that kind of feedback. I mean, we just sort of you know, threw the magazine up the stairs and whatever stair it landed on, well, that was, you know, whose, whose book we wrote about that week. Um, so yeah, it must be like, as, even though you're an unpaid site, but you've written for News of Rome too. Right? I did, once upon a time, yeah. yes. And for me, when I was editing reviews for uh, Publishers Weekly. That is true, right? right? Yeah. So, um, and, and what's funny is those metrics, what I've been told by numerous, I mean, I don't know if you can probably confirm this better than anyone else, is what gets the most hits in some of these news sites are listicles. 
It's the search engine optimization because there are definitely people out there that are like, I want to read about the top 10 hottest redheads in comics. <laughs> or I want to fight about it, right? Yeah, like, I exactly. hate your hand rankings. You know? Albert, any thoughts on listicles? <laughs> Other than CBR is really good at them? <laughs> you know, I, that was not something that I was personally involved in. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, at times, here's what I'll say. Um, you know, Speaking of lists and um, magazines and new media, old media, I remember I was reading a few years ago an old issue of Amazing Heroes. Is that what the Comic Journal, like mainstream magazine was yes. called? It was, yeah. it was like 1990, and like one of the main articles was the 10 best Avengers stories of all time from like 1990. And so, you know, the idea that this is something that has been, you know, introduced, you know, by BuzzFeed in 2011. It's not true, because those articles exist because people like them, right? And it's like anything, it can be good, and it can be informative, and it can be fun and funny, or it can be pretty uh, bad. And, you know, it is a tool to be used in uh, editorial capacities um, for either good or evil, but they exist because people like them and because uh, theoretically they're fun to read. So in the abstract, lists are great. But even the name listicles, is new. I mean, that yeah. didn't exist before. Yeah, they didn't I mean, it's just because of their they popularity. They said they were lists, yeah. I like listicles because they're also um, good intro um, like assignments to writers, because we, we definitely have a lot of fledgling writers that are looking to work on their craft, and that's what I love about when we write about comics, and it's, listicles are like a nice, low-commitment article to write. Like, I can Google this, I can do, like, this is going to teach me how to do some research, but I don't have to write a full article on one topic. You know, I cannot get my writers to write lists for the love or money. You're kidding. No, they don't do lists. They don't. I, I said, you know, guys, if you want easy traffic, do a list. And they, I don't, I don't know, that's just my people, though. You know, they're, uh, you know, just to, to talk about the beat a little bit. Um, Top ten reasons I won't do a list. Yes. Right. <laughs> by, by beat staff. Yeah, and my contributing editor, Scott, who hates them with a passion. Yeah. Um, you know, we are, it's a long-running site. The beat started in one form or another back in 2003, 2004, okay? The golden age of blogging. And uh, I did it pretty much on my own with a couple of helpers. And, um, you know, I did make money off of it selling ads myself. I pretty much did it all myself. I mean, I had to learn how to do web design also because my my web manager would never fix, they're, they're like plumbers, they just never come, you know, and if you wait and the site's broken. So I learned how to do it myself. And, um, and then I went to Publishers Weekly for a while and then I took it away and then I ran it uh, by myself. And I did bring on other writers and um, I said when I had a lot of money, I would pay them. <laughs> and I, you know, I did. And once in a while I get some big freelance job that I'm my own that I would make enough so I could pay the writers a little bit. But, um, you know, it was unpaid, pretty much. But then last year, uh, The Beat was acquired by Syndicated Comics, which is a sister company of Lion Forge. And, um, you know, so we have a budget now, so at least we can, we can pay people a little bit, um, which I'm super, super, super proud of, because I've been doing this panel for so long, and that question always comes up, and finally, this year, I can say we pay our writers, and I'm really, really happy for that, so. Um, and just as far as reviews go, I mean, I have an awesome, my other job was doing, um, editing the reviews, the graphic novel reviews for Publishers Weekly, which ran about five reviews a week, and then would have some online. And um, so I had a lot of many fine writers, including Rob, uh, 
no one else uh, actually on this panel, which is unusual, but um, John Seven was uh, one of my writers as well, and he didn't do PW reviews anymore, and but he does reviews for the beat, and he does, I think he's kind of like our critic, and I'm, I'm actually, like, you know, other site editors or whatever, I mean, I think that's something that I really want to develop for the beat, is to have my Anthony Lane, you know, like somebody who has really good, strong opinions, so that when that becomes somebody that you read in and of your, you know, that you read in and of yourself. That hates superheroes. Yeah, that hates superheroes, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. But um, I, I want so many. I mean, I have big DC fans on, on staff, or you know, read, readers. We do a weekly DC column and a weekly Marvel column because you know that is a huge part of the industry. But um, but yeah, I want to get more. I want to get more. I, I started out writing reviews, and they were I was very young, and they were very opinionated. And so I will segue into our next topic with this because I would write what I, you know, something, and then I would come to the con, and, uh, you know, like Chris Claremont would snub me, and say, you know, and I would be like, why is he snubbing me? And like, well, you know, he saw the article you wrote, and I'm like, oh. And, you know, like people came, well, you know, a couple of people would come up to me and say, um, boy, that, you know, the review, I thought your review was harsh or whatever. So, anyway, so I, I've said this on this panel almost every time I do it. But so I developed, and then I became an editor, so I knew people in a wholly different context. Now I'm back to writing. I always say I would never write something that I wouldn't say to a person's face. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, oh man, 15 minutes to cover this topic. Oh no, we'll, we'll have to do the sequel. But um, anyway, and that means that if I like someone, I wouldn't, I would just recuse myself from it. And by the same thing, it's like if I really want to say this, I'm not going to go find that person at the con and be like, uh, hey, will you sign my, my scrapbook? <laughs> um, so yeah, let's, but, but you know what, that, that's my, my rule. But I want, there's a lot of talk now about comics criticism in particular because it's such a small industry and because of Twitter and because uh, creators are, you know, reaching out to people who write reviews, and so, you know, me, uh, having gone through this in person for 25 years, I'm sort of like, you know, it just, uh, for me, it's tough enough, but I know a lot of people don't, uh, you know, it's more of a problem, so, you know, how do we feel about this, about this kind of, you know, this close connection, this too close contact? Well, you know, it's it's not just in comics journalism, it's in, it's in all journalism, the Internet has opened up uh, journalism to ordinary, what they call citizen journalists, ordinary citizens, people who just have opinions, people who just want to write a meme, whatever it happens to be. And I think the problem with comics and its related fields, you know, fandom and so on, is there is such an intense uh, belief in their opinions. I mean, most these people, let's put it this way, these people have very high opinions of their opinions. <laughs> And um, they organize themselves. There's brigading that occurs, which is when some group or some fan decides to recruit other people to either downvote or post supporting posts. And it sort of um, it poisons the whole process of actually posting, writing and posting a substantive review. And I think the journalism of it gets buried in the fan reaction. And um, those of you who, who run websites, how do you how do you prevent that from happening? How do you keep it more your editorial um, contribution? How do you keep it more pure? You know, it's funny. 
that you mentioned, because um, you know, it's the same thing with movies too. Like, you know, you write about movies or whatever. And it's almost like the, as you call it, citizen journalists have tried and almost are succeeding in delegitimizing the work of the professionals. Mm -hmm. Yes, all of us. And, and people are, you know, they're, you know, there's this gang mentality and they're all gearing up. Like I wrote a review about La La Land. I hate that movie. And people want to be dead. <laughs> people want to be dead. And you know, they were reporting my Twitter page for what? <laughs> because I didn't like something. But um, people take opinions personally, and they take things because they think they own things. Um, so you know, if you take something you own and you slander it, then they've taken it personal. Um, it seems like you know, objectivism is becoming more and more blurred. People don't understand what that what it means to be objective. Right. Um, I'm not attacking Tom Cruise because I don't like Mission Impossible. <laughs> I'm attacking the film. You know, I'm talking about the film's discrepancies and how to make it better. I'm not attacking him. And people see that as a personal attack. And I think to answer your question specifically and as well as this question here is you know, I just sort of bulldoze my way, I just sort of move on. I'm like, well you know, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, and if you don't like it, you can have my address and we can meet. <laughs> so, you know, I never get any responses on that, but people will plan to, you know, tell me to go jump over a bridge or whatever. Um, it's just, it's, but the, other, but the other side of it is, you know, people who work in this business, I've always felt, shouldn't there be a certain level of preparedness for that? Because not everything is for everybody. So should you be, should you be prepared? To, to take ne negative criticism. Um, and that's something that I always ask. I mean, of course, harsh criticism. Some people aren't just prepared for it. You, you know, I will say there is, you know, I mean, citizen journalists, uh, you know, great writers could come from anywhere. But I will say there's a lot of bad, inaccurate, in, you know, poorly written, you know, not factual, get the story wrong, get the credits wrong stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And it's the same fake news thing. I mean, it's like you can't tell because, and I, you know, I mean, I agree. I, you know, I want to hear what Fred has to say about that. This is a creator too. I mean, when you read somebody review your stuff and they just got it all wrong, you do become enraged and you do want to, you know, say something. The great Hugo Wolf, the composer, said the best diss on criticism ever. He said, I am reading your review. <laughs> no, your review is in front of me. I am sitting on the toilet. Soon it will be behind me. <laughs> <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so, so Fred, how do, you, how do you deal with this? Well, when I was first starting out, I would religiously review, or review the reviews, I would read every review I got, and then I was doing a series uh, with Greg Pak called Incredible Hercules for Marvel, and we were pretty popular on, on the internets, and uh, there was one guy, this one site, I think it was Silver Bullets, remember Silver Bullets? Yeah, 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 and he just praised every issue to high heaven, and then like, 14 or 15 issues in the run, he just went on this rant about how terrible it was. And the whole review was about how he was mad that, that another book called Captain Britain and MI13 was being canceled and our book was still being published. And he just went on this, and I just was like, and he just completely shifted, he just went, did a complete 180 on the series. And he, he concluded by saying, uh, so it got really personal. He was like, clearly, Pac and Mantlanti are. Do you have too many books to do, and that's where this book sucks now. And so I wrote him an email, and I was like, uh, "Dude, dude, what are you talking about? 
we, we there's just as much passion into every issue and blah, 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 there's no change or whatever. And even when I sent the email, I was like, that was dumb. Why did you do that? Uh, but then like, I wrote a very kind of like, almost like, oh, I apologize, and it was me. So we wrote this kind of ap uh, apologetic email in, and the, the matter kind of rested there. But then in the next month, he, then he sort of started praising the book again. And, uh, and then, but then it, now it was poison. Because now I was like, it was, it was like, you know, I'd opened up the lid to see whether the cat was alive or dead or not. And now I, now I didn't like the reviews as much as they were before, even though they were still good, because I had worried I, I had, uh, uh, you know, influenced them myself. And so I, I literally, cold turkey, stopped reading all reviews of my book, any of my books, and I remained that this day. When, whenever, you know, somebody sends me one, or I had just happened to check it out, or, um, <laughs> My publishers won't pull pull quotes, so I've got to pull my own damn pull quotes. I've got to read my, my own reviews. Uh, what's frustrating, Heidi, to what you were saying is, is what I find, it's not enraging, but what I find even more depressing is when the good reviews get it all wrong. Like, that's what really, like, that, well, that bothers me even more than yeah. the bad reviews getting, like, writing as if it was a completely different book. If the good reviews, when they do that, that depresses me even more. So I stay away. Yeah. Uh, Cat and Rob site, you know. How about, what's your take on this? Um, so, Women Write About Comics has published a few inflammatory articles, um, especially recently, and we've definitely gotten involved in some uh, comics beef. But I think mostly we kind of just stay out of that. As far as being ethically enmeshed into the comics community, um, I think it's like, is it your spouse? You shouldn't be reviewing that. If your mutual's on Twitter, just say, hey, we're friendly but I can still review this book objectively and it's up to the reader to decide um, on the list of that, especially for people who are reviewing for me because I'm doing small press books and people who are in small press want to write about their cool friends' small press books and it's like I only have so many reviewers who are interested in non-superhero books. So, um, but I think generally we do a pretty good job of um, doing that, but I think the worst for us is when creators um, can't handle criticism yeah. and come come for us and our writers, and they definitely, uh, especially some more high-profile ones, because they have the Twitter mouthpiece that chase people up of writing comics criticism, and I think some of that is that um, a lot of people who are reading this, not create just creators, they'll um, kind of get confused as to like, what criticism is versus like journalism or news reporting, and especially now that nobody seems to know what reporting means at all. Um, it's like a general lay um, definition. Um, we get a lot of people that are like, well, that's, this can't be a bad review, because I don't think so, so that's fake news, even though it's not news at all. It's just somebody's opinions piece. So, um, yeah, I think creators coming um, directly for our writers, emailing them, calling them, DMs, subtweeting. Can I comment on that? Um, yeah. I think that despite, you know, all this, what you what you were just talking about, I, I do think that readers pick up on when somebody's writing about their friend's book, for example. Oh, sure. You know? And not just false praise, but where it falls into the realm of obvious publicity. Um, I think they do know. And I also think they really do appreciate really good journalism. You know, when a, a review is written, even if it's harsh, or even if it's praiseworthy, if it's fair, and if it's well written, and it's well thought, and if it's thoughtful, or if it's not a review, it's just a piece of journalism, I think they respond to that. 
They respond to really good, thorough journalism, even though they're still clicking on all these garbage articles on, you know, the seven best fights between Thor and the Hulk. So that's a great article. I, I, feel like, I feel like we got people... Only seven! Yeah, I, first of all, we disclose in a really funny manner if we know the creator in some way by referring to them as a panel pal. And that is the code for the person writing the article knows this person and or this person knows the site very well. And we make no bones about that. And sometimes I will start a review off with, I have known this person for 10 years. I think that's important to get that out there. That doesn't mean I can't be objective, but it does mean that I have to let you know. I am terrified that someday, because we have associations with people who are frequently targets, that we ourselves are going to be targeted. And quite frankly, we make zero money off the site. And honestly, if that happened to us, we'd probably just shut down. Just being quite honest. And I, maybe that's cowardly, but I don't make a dime off of this. And if people would start calling me with death threats and doing things to the house or make threats to any of my staff, I think we would just shut down. And I'm terrified that that's going to happen because we are very much supportive of creators who are frequently targeted because part of our mission is to bring people who are not necessarily in the comics mainstream into a wider audience. And those are the people who are being targeted right now. And I'm honestly a little surprised we haven't gotten hit yet. I, f I feel the same way. We have not really been brigaded. Um, sometimes a few people, yeah, a few, will, here and a few there. people will notice us, or we'll get uh, a post explode in the comments. But our editors normally shut that down. I mean, we haven't been targeted at the beat either, which is you know pretty surprising to me as well. So, well, you just let me start writing. Okay, there we go. Well, I will welcome that. And actually, Valerie, you know, disclosure is, is covering, you know, she's going to be writing some stuff for the beat. And so, yeah, we're going to, but, you know, I'm I'm right there with you. You know, we'll be filming movies in the car, so we'll be, <laughs> I don't care. Um, we are out of time, but I will allow one question, so uh, we have a little bit of time. So, but just enough for one question. I'll try and make it quick, and it's unfortunately not going to be a quick answer, but I'll try. I've been asked to contribute to a couple of sites, or a, a site certainly, that wants to focus on very much positive reinforcement of content out in comics journalism, not doing negative reviews. Do you think there's a place for negative reviews? Hell yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> that was not a long answer. <laughs> I know, fair enough. I mean, they're, they're asking publishers so they ask you for your money. Yeah. So, I mean, if they're asking for money, then you should tell the customer, this is, you might like this, you might not like this. I think that the site certainly that has approached me, they're just, if there is a negative thought about that product, then they don't write about it. That's up to them, right? I mean, they yeah. can handle their own site however they want. Yeah. And it's up to the people who read it to decide if they feel if that's credible or not. Yeah. Now, I will say one thing. I tell all my staff, if you want to write a negative review, that's just fine. If they're snark, it's gone. Sure. I don't want to hear comments about the creator. I don't want to hear cheap, easy jokes. It takes you 10 minutes to write a snarky review. It takes you an hour to write a good negative review. That's what I want. Sure. I mean, it's funny because I think almost all the writers could be uh, write about positive things, you know, write positive reviews, because there's just so many comics. And, you know, uh, it's not to say we wouldn't write bad reviews of, you know, the biggest comic of, you know, Doomsday Clock or something, but, um, uh, you know, I mean, there's just like, there's so much 
time, there's only so much time I would rather write about something I love, you know, whether I know the people or not, I mean, you know, um, but our movie reviewer hates everything. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I mean, it's with him, it's like, you know, TV, everything, you know, I hate the CW, I, you know, this Marvel, he liked Thor Ragnarok, so he's okay, you know, I love Kyle. That's what, when he so, does like something, that's when you know it's... Yeah, 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 but Kyle's super picky about what he likes, and so, you know, but... I, I think, but I think the film genre is a little bit more open, a little bit more, a little bit wider in that regard, and there are some issues, um, even when it comes to film, that's like, deserve a little bit of snark, like any hints of whitewashing, uh, overt racism, sexism, or something that's out of line. Like pe people, I believe, deserve to be a little called out, but there's a tasteful way to do it. And if you're a journalist and know how to use your words, then you can get it out there without really, um, I, I, I guess I'm exposing some of my secrets. There's a way to do things, and there's you know, a way to say things that uh, aren't sort of inflammatory where you're not saying, you know, telling somebody deserves to be beat up or shot or whatever. Uh, I believe that there's, you know, uh, but as far as comic journalism, it's a lot smaller. So uh, I just think that if you use your words wisely, you can still get out a negative opinion without being nasty. Okay. Yeah, well, we are out of time. I feel like we barely scratched the I had so much I wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been like bursting over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they're really, honestly, and I really wanted to get some, some questions <laughs> and everything. But, um, you know, I think we, the, the, I, this is great though. I mean, thank you so much, everybody, for your, your very thoughtful comments, and thank you for uh, continuing to do good criticism and to write about comics out of passion. And thank you for coming. Uh, and um, until next year, this is the annual Comics Journalism Panel. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.